to Bromance Dawn. Here are your hosts, the king of the pirates Noah Delmar and his first mate, pirate hunter Bill Jenkins. Welcome back to another stunning episode of the Bromance Dawn podcast. Episode two, not those kinds of tentacles. As always, I am your host, Noah Delmar, here with my co-host, Bill Jenkins. Hey, guys. And we're here to talk a little bit about the second episode of our LucasArts Point and Clicks, Maniac Mansion. Uh, So last time, if you recall... We dove into a little bit of history of the LucasArts point-and-clicks, and and, uh, we actually streamed a little bit of the first game, Maniac Mansion, which we introduced a little bit of, um, but we didn't really dive too deep into it. So Bill's going to give us a a brief introduction um, of the game, and then you know I'm going to kind of give you my impressions of playing it for the first time. So, Bill? All right, so before we get started, I just want to point out that when I came in, Noah was cooking the most manly protein breakfast known to man. Some protein pancakes, some bacon, and some eggs. It was, uh, it was a sight to behold. Don't forget that I put a half a cup of oats in the pancake mix just to make sure I got enough carbs. So for all you gym rats out there, uh, follow Noah for inappropriate selfies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. All right, all right, back on task. All right, so... Uh, we started talking a little bit about this last week, but Midiac Mansion was created in 1987 by Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick. Uh, the lead programmer on it was David Fox, and he also worked with Ron Gilbert. The idea was conceptualized in 1985 when a couple of the guys were talking about how they love B-horror movies, which we're also a big fan of. And uh, it was released for Commodore 64, Apple II, the IBM PC. Did you say Commodore 64? Commodore 64. It's yeah. really neato. What kind of chip you got in there? A Dorito? <laughs> uh, Amiga, Atari ST, NES, and Apple II, or Apple Macintosh. Macintosh. I don't know if, if uh, you experienced this growing up. Um, in grade school, the computers we had were a whole bunch of old macintosh computers like that's all we had in our our uh our, our computer lab and you know we would play crazy ass games back there no maniac mansion but we had like uh oh, what, what was it called now we had um the old like pcs with the uh it was like the uh the tower that was like on the bottom and the big crt monitor on the top and we played games like oregon trail like the old like Really, like, old one that was just, like, graphics. And, uh, like, I remember Sim Ant was on there, too. And occasionally Sim City gets Sim City. We, we had a game. It was a, a tribal game. A, a tribe Quest? Tribal Quest? I, I keep wanting to say a, a tribe, tribe called Quest. quest. Yeah. I, I, I know that's not the answer. Um, can I kick it? Uh, but uh, what was it? 
Oh man, I'm, that's going to bother me. I'll have that answer for you at some point. And we had another one. That, Midnight Rescue was one. I literally beat this game in 13 seconds once. Oh, and Math Blaster. We referenced Math Blaster. So the game was actually conceptualized as a board game, which I thought was pretty cool. And one of the aspects of that that I think you can still see in the game is the map. Uh, now playing it, and we're going to get into your thoughts later, but playing it, did you think that the map was pretty easy to remember, pretty easy to get around? Yes, I was uh, more focused on a couple other things. So every now and then I would forget either which floor or uh, which room was which, but th there was nothing too complicated about it. It was, what, like three floors, four floors? Yeah, it was like three floors, four floors. And, and there, was only, the and there, was, there was never more than three branches off of that. Yeah, and it's, it's a very linear path from the time you uh, go in. Um, and go through the entire mansion. And actually, everything's on one sprite sheet if you look at it online. And all the camera does is basically say, every time you go into a new room, redirect to this part of the sprite sheet, like this predefined area. Uh, and actually, what's kind of cool about that, too, is some of the rooms are more than one screen wide. So this allows you to do the scrolling. And of note, we didn't play the NES version, but the NES version, actually, those bigger rooms, it had to break it down into two separate scenes. So like the kitchen or the dungeon, stuff like that, that was more than one screen wide, it couldn't handle the scrolling that the PC ports did. So, All right, so uh, after that, they decided to make a point-and-click game. Ron Gilbert got this idea when he was playing King's Quest on a cousin's computer, but he really, really didn't like the text-based interface. Um, what do you think of the point-and-click aspect of it did you enjoy the verbs and stuff like that yeah i i didn't think it was too difficult um again there was a couple use or or use with um or, or, or turn on i i thought was a little silly um because use kind of yeah is, i think is, use kind of encompasses is, everything is, is the same thing for me um it wasn't that bad i i like that they were all on the screen um, I, I know in our, our previous podcast we discussed yep. a, a big problem with the genre is well, if nothing's there, how do you know what the verb is? So by limiting it, I, I, I think that helps remove some of the challenges um, that you might face. I didn't think it was too bad. Yeah, and that's one of the uh, big things that Ron Gilbert really wanted to do. That and he wanted to make sure that you couldn't really die or lose the game. And we'll get a little bit into that <laughs> later. Not true. Not true. Um, so the scum engine is what they made for it. It's the scripting utility engine for Maniac Mansion or something like that. And it's been, it was used for 10 years after this, actually, up until one of the later Monkey Island games. So it was a really powerful uh, scripting engine. Just made it really easy to throw in ideas into a game and produce them really quickly. Uh, there's an NES port. And it was actually censored. Do you know what was censored? Could you take a guess from playing the original version? What was censored? Yeah. I, I don't believe I, I saw anything that I thought was that, that bad. Um, no, but think about Nintendo standards. Well, I, I, that's what I'm trying to think. The, the, the skeleton, was, it, was there a, a poster? In a there room? was a mummy uh, Playboy calendar. Uh, all right, all right. There was the statue, the naked statue, and there was uh, the for a good time called Narsedna. They were trying to get that removed, and the creators were like, that's like an integral part of one of the puzzles. You can't really remove that. So that was the censorship Nintendo requested. 
Although you still can microwave the hamster in the NES version, which we're not sadistic, so we didn't do. But you can do that. So, uh, Maniac Mansion was moderately successful, and it actually spawned a 1990 TV series that was produced by Eugene Levy, who you may know as Jim's dad from American Pie. Uh, if that's all you know him from, I, I would say most of you might know him from uh, Schitt's Creek these days. Uh, I never watched Schitt's Creek. Where he stars with his son. I think Dan might be his name. I've never watched it either, um, but anything he's ever done with Catherine O'Hare is just fantastic. Like, Eugene Levy's a funny guy. Apparently this show wasn't like really funny, though. But what's interesting about it is it, it uh, starred Joe Flaherty, as I thought you were going to say Joe Flacco. <laughs> Joe Fla- yeah, that's what Joe Flacco is doing these days. So, <clears throat> Joe Flaherty, and they had guests including Dave Thomas, Martin Short, and I don't think you knew this one, David Cronenberg. What do I know Cronenberg from? Cronenberg is like the body horror guy from the 80s. Gotcha. Yeah, so that was kind of weird. That's the like Cronenberg um, films, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cronenberg yeah. films. They reference it a lot in Rick and Morty for you use that might be listening. Joe Flaherty was on it, and a bunch of other uh, SCTV alum. Um, SCTV is a really well-known, renowned uh, comedy troupe. You, you, can, you can think of it, it was kind of like the, um, the Canadian Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and there are a lot of people that trained like with SCTV and stuff like that, Dan Aykroyd, a lot of people that ended up being on SNL. So, back to the systems in the game. There were 15 verbs and an inventory, and... <clears throat> The verbs, like you said, can be a little bit cumbersome. Um, it kind of depends on contextual things. In the updated version that we didn't get to play because we couldn't figure it out, but we're going to stream this week, you could actually click on something, and it'll show you the verbs that you can use with it, I believe. Um, how did you feel about like the act of clicking on something and then picking the verb and then clicking on it again. I think you had a little trouble with that. I, I would at times, um, especially if it was multiple, it wouldn't always register right or it would click off and you'd have to redo, um, which was kind of annoying. But, I mean, hey. I mean, it was made in 1987. It's a product yeah. at the time. I'm looking at it through a, through a, a lens. You know, I'm, I'm using a, a, a fancy-ass Corsair <laughs> compared to the, the one-button a mouse that might have existed back then with a roller ball. Um, you know, it's, 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 it ain't... Uh, you know, actually, it's, the first... It's, it's, it's not El Cool J's mouse. The first time I played was, this... Was he a roller ball? I don't even think the computer we had had a mouse. I think I used the keyboard for it. To wow. move... Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? It was a lot more annoying. So actually using a mouse is really, really nice. And if you play the NES version, you're using a controller. I mean... It's kind of not as smooth as later games would be, but there's still point-and-click adventure games that you can play on you know, Xbox, Switch, stuff like that, that you use the controller for. So as long as the system's well-designed, I think it holds up. Uh, what I found interesting about that is I, as someone that's been playing it for a really long time, never really thought about the fact that you have to click the, click the object, click the item, and then click it again to execute it. It's just intuitive to me. But I noticed even picking up the key at the beginning to get into the mansion and unlocking the door, you were having a little trouble. So that was something I noted. All right, so characters. We have Dave, Bernard, Jeff, Michael, Razor, Sid, and Wendy. Uh, for our playthrough, the first one, who'd you choose, Noah? I, I went with uh, Jeff Spicoli. <laughs> 
And uh, I think they go with Razor as well. Yeah, we went with Razor both times. Um, yeah, Jeff Spicoli because, you know, who doesn't love Jeff Spicoli? And then our Twitch chat informed us that Jeff is useless. I never really picked him, so I never knew this. But apparently he's the one character that has no use in the game besides Dave. Dave. I, I'd say Dave. I just keep thinking of Dave from, like, Alvin and the Chipmunks. You mean, like, My Name is Earl's Jason Lee? Or like well, yeah, but, yeah, but, but yeah, that Dave. You know, from like, you know, I'm going to date myself here more. I think in 89, The Chipmunk Adventure came out, which was a fantastic film. I like the Halloween one. Go go watch it. I promise you, you will hate every minute of it and cancel the whole series. <laughs> uh, and they, they did a cover of uh, uh, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Who? Uh, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, Wooly Bully. Oh, Wooly Bully. Like, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. Was there like a feral Alvin, like a feral I, chipmunk? Not, not in this one. Not in this one. So they were like drug smuggling or like diamond smuggling something in these dolls is what the whole movie the was about. The chipmunks were? Yeah, they were on this adventure in these balloons. Great movie. Um, but, you know, they get kidnapped in like on the Nile or like somewhere in South America by these, and they, the, the people can't talk right, and they're like getting ready to be sacrificed. And they think oh, they that, just start singing. Well, they think the person yeah. said "Wooly Bully," and they go "Wooly Bully," and then they say "Wooly Bully," and then they like they jump on like their stakes. So, great movie! I'd, I'd I'd go watch it right now. If there I was a it. really big uh, obsession with throwing like 1950s and 60s songs into our cartoons. Do you remember the Yakety Yak "Don't Talk Back" on Tiny Yakety Tunes? Yak. So yeah, so that yeah. was another great episode. Um, maybe we'll do a podcast about that stuff later. As um, an aside, you know, we'll get we'll get um, back to it. But, but yeah, as an aside on that one, Mike. My five-year-old loves Yakety Yak. He'll, I'll go tell him to go don't clean his back. room, and he goes, don't talk back. <laughs> That's really funny. It's like propaganda, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's 50s propaganda. So some characters have different abilities, as we alluded to, as you go through the game. And what I thought was pretty cool about this is there's some world-building in that, because on the select screen... It tells you a little description of the character, and you can kind of figure out what the character can do from their description. Uh, Noah probably should have known, being that Jeff is probably, we can't confirm this, probably based on Spicoli, that he was going to be a useless character, but, you know, you picked him anyway. Also, you pointed out that the one character, do you remember who? Opened his mouth every time yeah, you clicked I, on them, I, I, and it freaked what, you what, out. What was it, Bernard? No, yeah, Bernard. The yeah, nerd. Bernard. And and what's funny about that is Bernard's one of the most useful characters in the game. Yeah, the so only I, character that when you highlight him has an animation sequence, and he he just opens his mouth. And I thought that was absolutely a reason not to pick him. So actually, it's the opposite. You should you should pick him. I always pick him in my playthrough. Um, he's also in the sequel. Bernard's definitely one of the most useful characters. Actually, in the enhanced version, all the characters do have animations, which we'll probably stream that this week so you can check it out and see. Uh, the original version was a little jarring to play for me, to be honest with you. So, Dave is our main character. He's just an everyman. Um, Noah was photoshopped onto him. So Noah was Dave. I was Bernard. Um, Bernard is the nerd. He's the geek. He can do all kinds of engineering stuff. Um, we used him to fix the radio, to fix the phone. Uh, there's a lot of useful things he can do. If you don't fix the phone, uh, you have to circumvent things and find different ways around it. So it makes life a lot easier. Uh, Michael, we didn't use Michael, but we might. Michael is a photographer and can develop things. 
uh, photos and stuff. Razor's in a punk band, so is Sid, so they pretty much serve the same purpose. Ostensibly, their playthroughs are exactly the same. And then Wendy is a journalist. Uh, do you remember finding that manuscript in one of the drawers? Yes. So Wendy can actually rewrite that manuscript and get it published. So that's one of the endings. So our cast of villains, I guess you could call them, Dr. Fred, Nurse Edna, Weird Ed, the Purple Tentacle, the Green Tentacle, and of course, the Meteor, who you probably didn't think was a character. You know, I didn't think it was a character, but they reference it as a person throughout the entire game. Because when we get to the ending, and you'll see this, the Meteor is actually a sentient being that took over Dr. Fred in his mind. That's why he's been in the basement for five years working on this project, him and Purple Tentacle. Purple Tentacle's like Dr. Fred's boy. They work together, which is why, and this brings us to Nurse Edna, you have to call Nurse Edna for a good time. Another thing that Nintendo really wanted censored, because in the box of the original game, it actually says the word lust, and in the original printing for the NES version, they actually say like something about lust. So Toys R Us didn't like that, and we're like, yeah, we're not selling the game if you do Toys that. Toys R Us, RIP. Just kidding. They're coming back. They're coming back in Macy's. Uh, Weird Ed. Weird Ed's just kind of like a normal guy. I mean, he's kind of blue looking, but that's about it. Um, you can see in his room, there's a lot of Star Wars references, which was pretty cool. Wasn't there a Star Wars poster in the arcade, too, that we saw? I was wondering how much you had to pay for that. Just kidding. Just kidding, because it's LucasArts. But uh, out of all the characters, I think Weird Ed's probably the most normal, and that's saying a lot, because they're all kind of strange. He got strange. pretty mad at me for breaking his piggy bank. Yeah, he got real mad because Noah broke his piggy bank right in front of him, actually. But you can befriend him. And you can actually befriend the Green Tentacle. Uh, out of all the characters, who would you say is your favorite? Based on what? Just, you know, based on playing the game. Like, what, who did you really enjoy learning more about? I, I don't know that I learned a whole lot about any of the characters. Um, you know, I, I found that, like, like, most games from that time period, in-game lore building was weak. You know, you know, nowadays there's all the lore and stuff you can you can find in games. You really had to read the peripherals. You know, games used to come with massive books yeah. of of information and, and things like that. And I think we'll talk about um, my experience with that with a point and click here a little bit later. So um, I think um, one of the cool aspects of it was there was a large overarching narrative, which a lot of games didn't have at that time. So like you said, there wasn't a lot of fleshing out of the characters and character development. But I think that's a product of the times. Oh, absolutely. You can't waste space on that. However, there is a through line from the beginning to the end of the story. So the story begins with uh, everyone gets ready. You get your characters. You're outside the mansion. You're like, all right, we're going to go save Dave, uh, Sandy, who is Dave's girlfriend. And what's kind of neat, too, is there is different dialogue based on the characters that you pick. So the illustrious line that we got was... Uh, they were talking about going in, and Bernard is a chicken because he's a nerd, so he's going to run away. And what does Dave say? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. Don't be a tuna head? Tuna head. That's right. That's right. I made a Bill Parcells reference. <laughs> yeah. So originally, originally um, they wanted that to say, don't be a shithead. But apparently the censors uh, of the time weren't going for that. So it became, don't be a tuna head. And it actually kind of worked out because I don't think it would have been as memorable if it was shithead instead of tuna head. So from there, you go into the mansion, you meet all these different characters. I still, how did Dave pull that chick? 
I mean, I guess he's brave because he got a crew together to go rescue Sandy, so. And we just put him in the dungeon and, and leave him there. As most people do. So, basically, there's five different endings to this game, not counting the ways that you can lose. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the ending we were going for, there's two. So, uh, the first one, we we're going for the record label demo. So, as you go through the game, you have to meet the green tentacle, and he won't let you pass. And actually, this is one of the reasons why you have to have more than one character, because Bernard refuses to talk to the tentacle. He's afraid of him. So you had to give the green tentacle what to get past? Was it the plastic fruit? Yeah, bowl of wax fruit. That's uh, green tentacle's favorite food. Which is really funny, because there's all these red herring items that don't do anything. And there's actually a box of tentacle chow, which you would think would be what he wants to drink, but no. Also of note, you can pick up a can of Pepsi, and it just says Pepsi. <laughs> like, it literally just says can of Pepsi. We were talking about how that wouldn't fly now. Um, even with the re-releases of the game, no one's caught that. I think it's because this game kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, and then you give the Purple Tentacle also fruit drinks, and he lets you up. You talk to him, and he's actually really kind of, kind of uh, emo. Right? Yeah, pretty much. So you go up to his room, and he has a big stereo, and he wants to be in a rock band, which I don't know how a purple te or a green tentacle that has no arms can play guitar. He could probably be DJ Lethal in um, Limp Bizkit. He could probably play the turntable. Yeah, he could probably play it. But this is the 1980s, and we're talking like... All right, say so that he could join... Do you remember listening to his... Well, Flash. we didn't listen to his demo, but his demo is like an actual like rock yeah. song, which begs the question... How did he do it? Regardless. So you can actually uh, record one of the musicians, either Sid or Razor, playing, and then you play it for the tentacle. He gets excited. He's like, oh, it's a fellow musician. You befriend him. You send his demo tape in. Uh, whenever you see on TV, there's an ad for a guy basically called Mark E. Tier, Marketeer. And he will publish anything. Literally, the ad is like meta humor, where he basically says, we will publish any crap that you send us. And uh, how did you feel about that puzzle? Do you, do you think that was intuitive to know that like, you had to call that phone number? And like, I, I feel like there's, that's a lot for like, a new player to figure out. I thought it was weird. And you know, nowadays, you know, with the four-digit phone numbers, that also kind of threw me off. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could have eventually got it. But no, I, I don't know that it was the, the, the easiest thing for me to figure out just on the fly. Well, and what's kind of interesting about that, too, is, you know, you might think you have to sit in your demo tape and not even think about giving the tentacle your demo. And if you do that, actually, he gets really mad and he kills you, which is another thing we didn't talk about uh, before because I didn't remember because I never really died. But characters can actually die in the game and you can still beat it. And actually, it'll pop up with a tombstone in the uh, front yard where you first walk in, which is kind of cool. So after you send the demo tape in, um, you go down to the lab, you do a bunch of stuff, and basically you end up sending the meteor away to space. So the other ending that we tried for was the meteor police one. Yeah, and if I recall, we I glitched out or, or, or something. So you, you, you had to open up the doors and I, I think I had one closed because there, there was two doors and the first time they, they couldn't get in. That makes sense. 
So then we opened it and we did it again and they were like, oh, you stupid kids, why are you prank calling us? We'll come check it out again. It still didn't work. Tried it a third time and they're like, this is the last time we're coming. Yeah, and they never and then, came. And then, <laughs> then they never came and then we tried it again and it just, and we lost. So there's essentially a glitch in the ported version because Disney actually owns LucasArts now, as we know, because they own Star Wars and everything. And when they reported the game, which is the one we played on PC, they used the Scum VM port, which was like a fan-made engine to play these old point-and-click games. Didn't edit anything, didn't do anything, and there's a glitch in it that I don't believe was ever patched out where you can't get the Meteor Police ending, which is kind of unfortunate. So we're kind of stuck, but it worked out because we're going to play the enhanced version next week anyway, and that's the version I played as a kid growing up. So that'll be exciting. So besides that... Um, there's a couple different endings. You can send in the manuscript instead of the tape. You can do the meteor police, as we said. Uh, you can develop film, and that one we didn't really get into. But do you remember Weird Ed was talking about his plans? Yeah. So Weird Ed's plans are actually in that package that you give him. What was the big thing that you messed up that, that um, kind of frustrated you? With the envelope? Oh, with the envelope, yeah. So... Um, I knew I had to get some coins, and they were in an envelope. So I got the envelope, and I immediately opened it. But you had to not do that so that you could mail the tentacles demo with the same envelope because in this massive mansion, there's no other envelopes. Despite the fact that there's, like, an office and, like, a photo lab and an arcade, and a, there's a doctor's office? Yeah, there, there's no other envelopes anywhere. Um, so I messed that up, and that's why we couldn't do the demo ending. Yeah, so we tried for the Meteor Police one, and that was glitched out, too. But pretty much there's five different endings. You can get them all in different ways. Uh, we'll, you know, I don't want to go through them all. I want you guys to go and explore and check this game out and try it. So uh, there were a couple different versions, as we talked about. The NES version ended up being one of the more popular versions. Maniac Mansion was really well-received when it came out, uh, receiving, like, 8s, 9s, 10 out of 10s, all across the boards uh, for all the game reviewing sites, well, sites, magazines at the time. And they were kind of disappointed because it just didn't really sell well. But the NES port was actually pretty successful. And it was so successful, they made a Japanese port. The Japanese port has different artwork. Um, it kind of changes the story a little bit. Um, it's not really translated, so I haven't really played it, but I've seen uh, some people play it and stuff. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, just to see the different takes on the artwork, I thought was interesting. Because as we talked about, uh, we played the original version. But there were different versions for each computer. It had to be programmed for each type of computer. So like the Commodore had a version, the Apple II had a version, the IBM PC had a version, the NES had a version. They were all the same story using that scum engine. But being the hardware was different, they had to be programmed in different ways, so the art's actually different. The Japanese version is absolutely insane. The artwork's real crazy looking. So one of the other uh, interesting things to note is the NES version has a chiptune soundtrack. And I don't know what you thought about the soundtrack, but I thought there were some cool songs in there. Uh, the piano one that you play on the uh, like Apple II and Amiga version that we played, it was just like noise, right? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty great. In the beginning, <clears throat> that beginning track, I think, actually even still shines through. It was pretty good. But there's actually 
themes for all the characters. And what I thought was cool is Dave's theme is actually The Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy, which, again, something you couldn't do in this day and age. Probably not as easy as they got it. Yeah, not as easy as getting away well, with it. Well, maybe you could do a game in, in that scene. Some of these songs got to be getting close to public domain. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. Uh, another interesting fact is the NES version was playtested by Tim Schafer, and it was managed by Doug Crockford. So uh, Tim Schafer, we talked about in the last episode, he went on to make Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, you know Brutal Legend? Was yeah, a, yeah, yeah, was that the... With the, Jack Black, starring yeah, yeah, Jack Black? Yeah, I was going to say that. Jack Black from uh, School of Rock. Yeah, Grim Fandango. He did a bunch of later games. He worked on Monkey Island with them, but he was just a playtester, and I guess that's how he got his in. And Doug Crockford also worked on some later games. Uh, just kind of funny how those guys cut their teeth on Maniac Mansion and then went on to kind of carry on the legacy. Which brings us to our last part here. Uh, sequel, spinoff, and the legacy. So... Uh, Maniac Mansion is a fondly remembered game by people of that generation, myself included. Um, there were some sequels and spinoffs. Day of the Tentacle was a direct sequel, but there's also some spiritual successors and some of the games that we're going to be playing in this series borrow heavily from the ideas in Maniac Mansion and kind of refine them and make them a little bit better. Yeah. So before we, we, we wrap up here, I just wanted to give some of my final thoughts on actually playing the game up for the first time. And I, I know you can see the, if you tuned in, you could see the joy in my face, the frustration, <laughs> uh, the anger, and all, all of those emotions that kind of came with it. You know, so one of the first things that really stuck out to me was uh, the, the, the artwork and the, the, the colors. Now, again, I, I know it's just a product of, of the time uh, more than anything, so I'm not you know, holding any of this against it. Um, because you know I'm looking at it through that lens of, of 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 the 80s, but the walls were the same color as the skin, so you could hide. Um, another thing that I thought was wild was the uh, ketchup. Uh, the ketchup was was brown, looked like. Oh yeah, the ketchup looked like poop. Looked like poop on the on but, the. But but the ironic thing is the there ironic, was a bloody yeah, chainsaw. There in was the a room. bloody chainsaw in the room, and there was perfectly red ketchup red on the wall. Now maybe they did that because they wanted it to to kind of. To have a contrast, yeah. But I would almost go with the dried blood, or you know, a, a, I don't know how many shades of red you could get going. But, you know, I, I might have went the other way for it to make more sense. Um, now I will say that the color palette in the enhanced version is a lot greater, and that's the one that I played. Yeah. So I think that you'll have an easier time playing that one. I think the pixel hunting is kind of difficult in that version as at well. Times. Yeah. At, at times. It, 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 like finding it, the light switches was a little bit difficult in the dark. In the, in the enhanced version, you can actually see your character's silhouette. It's kind of gray in a black room. So yeah, there, There's some, some stuff going on like that. The and loose again, brick that took you 20 minutes oh my, to find yeah, that the dungeon. Oh, my that because they all look the same. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I, I know exactly where it is. It's on the left, under the left window. Thinking that like he could see it, and then I realized, oh no, you you literally all the bricks look the same yeah, in this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So that was one, and again, that, that I don't mark that as a major um, flag against the game. Now, after playing the um, enhanced version, I may say, hey, don't play that first version just because it's it's more difficult. But again, I understand it's a product of the time. I I, I thought some of the humor was great. Um, the fact that that Ed, uh, Edna, and, and Fred all look the same. 
is, is hilarious to me. That the, the naming of, of, of things the same is, is hilarious. Um, you know, if we ever dive into the world of like EA games and like online sports stuff, yeah. I always name my create a character Fred Fredrickson. <laughs> yeah, because it's 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 Ed Edison, Fred Edison, and Ed Edison. So, so I mean, that's that's right on 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 par with with my kind of humor there. Um, you know, they call Edna for a good time um, because you know she's been a lonely lady for five years. We we also pointed out that uh, Edna kind of no offense looks like Bernie Sanders. She she did kind of look like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh, now that's not to say Bernie Sanders looked like a woman. Uh, I think Ed, Edna, Edna looks w- like w- a man. Was, was kind of a manly yeah. woman, and that was because they all do look the same. Um, but you know that humor was fun, which is um, was great. Uh, and I, I thought you know it's the inclusion of tentacles I thought was was funny. It's kind of um, it's kind of a weird like out there idea to have just a disembodied tentacle. Yeah, it it, it is, you know. But it it does seem to kind of line up with some of that late '80s like weird uh, stuff because you know you you would, you would try weird stuff like that like like a weird alien um, character you know that you didn't really see as much later, uh, you know, and, and and you know that probably died out by the mid '90s and things got a little more well. And we talked about that in our LucasArts introduction episode. They kind of could do whatever they wanted. And this was kind of an idea that they came up with when they were like, hey, after Labyrinth and Ball Blazer, we need you guys to make, make a game. Um, and that was an idea they were kicking around. And like I said, they conceptualized it as a board game first and then kind of moved on from there. So I think a lot of that really shines through in the game. What about the puzzles? What do you think about the puzzles? Puzzles weren't too bad. Um you know, a lot of simple puzzle games and things like that that I, I play nowadays, very on par. Um, I, I think due, to, again, to the limitations, everything wasn't necessarily as straightforward as you would want it to be. But again, that might also be a product of me playing games nowadays where things do make a little more sense or, or you know, things might have been different at, at, at that time period. So things aren't always as straightforward. But I didn't think anything was illogical well, so I, you know, as someone that's played it a bunch of times and kind of knows the way through it, I was really curious to see your take on the puzzles because I think, like you said, a lot of them were very logical and straightforward, but then there's some frustrating stuff in there, like the envelope. Like, why would you think that you couldn't open an envelope without ripping it to reuse it? Well, for, for that purpose, yes. And because at, at, potentially at that point, you may not have known you needed to use it for anything else. Yeah, and the only reason you figured out you needed to use it, you kind of figured it out on your own as we did like the, the music side quest and stuff like that. But at that point, you had already, I couldn't even tell you to not rip it because we got that envelope in a safe and obviously you're like, oh man, I need to get whatever's in this envelope, which is true. So what intuitively would make you think that you want to steam that envelope? Right, if, if I thought there was something in it and we had to put it back. That's, yeah, that's about yeah, the exactly. Only one. Yeah. Um, and actually, that leads into one of the deaths I didn't know you could get. If you microwave the radioactive water from the pool to steam the envelope, when you open the thing, you'll die. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a couple death states. Uh, one of them is you have to drain a pool. And when you drain the pool, if the kid that's in the pool doesn't leave before you refill the pool, they'll drown. Uh, Weird Ed can kill you, the tentacle can kill you, and I think that's about it for all the death states. Um, you stumbled up, oh, you stumbled across, across two of them, actually. The first one was, I forget what you touched. The keypad. Oh, you touched the keypad, so the keypad was a DRM thing, 
back in the day to keep you out if you pirated the game. You had to, it was kind of a pain in the ass because you had to actually look in the manual and put in a code every time you'd have to get in that door. And it wouldn't close except for when, and this logically makes sense, but it was a pain, when one of the characters came from the upstairs down to check the door to go to the kitchen or whatever, they would close and lock the door behind them. So you had to put in the keypad a new DRM code every single time. And you had to use like a little red light thing to actually look because it was in that weird, you remember that weird like text from when we were kids where it was like a cipher on the back of a cereal box? It was like that. Yeah, 3D glasses work with the two problems. Was it like, yeah, like, like yeah. the red, blue? Yeah, so I remember like I had a game when I was a kid that had a little red magnifying glass and I would use that. Or if I couldn't find that, I would literally take the red side of the 3D glasses and use it. And it was really, like I said, it was really kind of a pain. I get why they did it, but it was a pain. So you blew us up with that, and then you almost touched the red button, but that cutscene happened. So yeah. you saved us with that. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, I blew the building up. It was great. And everyone in like a 30-mile radius died. Yeah, just died. There's a nuclear explosion. So that, that's, that's great. No, so yeah, so the rest of my final thoughts. It was a fun game. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it again. It seems like one that you would come back to occasionally. So you can understand like why I re- remember it so fondly and really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do. I, I, I know I'll probably um, share this with, with, with my son when he gets a little bit older to play. Um, I know Bill here says he was reading at the age of one and then beating this game. I, I'm telling you, I beat this game when I was four years old. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't you know, not believe you beat it. I just don't believe you could read. Oh, yeah, I, I've been reading since I was like two. I still can't read. Um, (laughs) No, but I think overall, I think it's a really good game. It's a good jumping off point. Yes, I I think it is. And uh, just to kind of briefly set the stage for the next game we're we're diving into, let me take you back in time. Oh, man. It's around 95, 94 time period. I'm sitting at home reading. Because yeah, because there was no internet. Because there was no internet yet. I didn't even have a computer yet. We're, we're, we're about to get into that. <laughs> There's a knock on the door. I don't answer it. I'm a kid. You don't open the door for strangers. It was the green tentacle. It was the green tentacle. <laughs> no, it was the, the mailman or the delivery man came. My dad brings in this massive box. And this box is cow patterned. Oh, I know where this is going. And I'm like, what? That's iconic if you were a 90s kid. Yeah, I'm like, what? what? What's going on here? And um, my dad got a, a Gateway computer. Gateway was a massive computer company back then. Yeah. And uh, all their stuff was delivered in a cow box. I, mean, I don't know why they had cow pattern Don't boxes. know why they used the cow pattern, but... Uh, but they was, did. And um, with that, he, he bought like a, a slew of, of games. I, I forget what was in it. Uh, a bunch of DOS games. I think the first Monkey Island was there. Yeah, I think he said um, Monkey Island. And a bunch, a bunch of other kid games that we had. I... I like I think maybe one of the original Duke Nukem concepts. It was way before it was a side scroller. Oh, like the side. Yeah, the first two, two Duke Nukem's were actually like side scrollers. Yeah, and, and, and platformers. It, it, it didn't have anything that you would associate with. It was like Commander Keen and stuff yeah, like that. I, yeah. I think we had we had a, a similar game that was like a, a chick in the jungle called Jill of the Jungle. Um, it was very similar feel, um, and we had this game called Loom. Um, dun, dun, that, that, that apparently we all we all love because my, my dad would play it with us, my cousins would play it, and I, I just remember we had it. You were this like druid looking guy in, in a robe, and 
you know, like one of the main things is obviously this, there's this massive loom. I didn't even know what a loom was. It's like I, the plot of Wanted. That was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but, uh, but you know, and there's like geese. Uh, and, and, and but I remember like I was talking about the peripherals that came with it. You know, there was this big book that like you had to write your. Um, there's eventually some music stuff you have to do, like different spells, like your puzzle, your puzzle. Like, yeah, right, right. You figure out these like spells, and it was like music related, and it would do different things. Like one would be like to like blow wind or like some real generic stuff to to so fart. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, and and you know. I likened it to Ocarina of Time and just memorizing your um, your because none of them were that complicated, um, but memorizing the songs. Um, and of course, at that time, you know, they didn't save any space where you could just go to your inventory and and look at the the songs. So you know, you had all this stuff, and it was just a great. I never beat it. I couldn't read. Um, I remember there was a boar and a crystal ball. Uh, very much looking forward to playing this one. I feel like Loom is going to be difficult because this is actually our first Bills never played because I heard a Loom. I never played it. I skipped right past it to Monkey Island. Um, and before we wrap things up, we should mention that there are a couple more in between, in case anyone listening knows that, Zach McCracken and then Indiana Jones. Um, we just decided that we're just going to go hit the main ones, and Loom was the next really big one. Not that Indiana Jones isn't, but we figure pretty much if you've seen the movie, you can figure out the plot of the game. Yeah, there's nothing in that game to melt your face off. Ooh. It's a pretty good game, so check it out. Um, Zach McCracken is not as great. The game was slacking. <laughs> anyway, so uh, be on the lookout because next week we'll be talking about Loom. And this week we'll be streaming Monday night if you're listening to this in real time. Uh, every Monday we're on Twitch streaming something. Uh, we did the Escape Room Simulator one week. Uh, we're going to do some Sea of Thieves coming up. Um, usually we, we're playing around 9 p.m. 9 p.m. is on Eastern Mondays. Standard. Uh, on Mondays, uh, I may periodically play other times just, yeah, just on my just own. Follow follow the uh, Broken Dawn podcast, or Bromance Dawn podcast. The Breaking, Bromance break, Dawn. Breaking Dawn podcast. Breaking Dawn. We're doing a Twilight podcast. <laughs> now, follow Bromance Dawn PD on Twitter, um, Instagram, all that, to find out updates and things like that. Um, make sure you listen every new Saturday we're going to have an episode and if you're listening and you want to let us know your thoughts about Maniac Mansion or any of the LucasArts games or if you just want to reach out and let us know hey you're listening uh, make sure to send us an email at bromansdonpd at gmail.com we have a Google voice number that you can also text um, get in touch with us through that any way that you want to interact uh, talk to us on socials We'd love to hear your feedback, and make sure if you're enjoying everything, you like, you share, you comment, do all that good stuff so we can get the podcast out there and get people listening. Absolutely. Um, could not have said that better, because really that's why we're doing this. Um, yeah, we spend enough time talking to each oh, yeah, other. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 yeah, we talk all the time. Well, I'd really like to hear what people's take are on some of these games, especially Maniac Mansion, because we just played it, so... Um, so anyways, that's, that's about all we got for today. So uh, as always, this is the Bromance Dawn Podcast signing off. Um, take care, everyone. We'll catch you next time.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bromance Dawn. Be sure to follow us anywhere that you get your podcasts. Check us out at Bromance Dawn TV on Twitter and Instagram for updates on Twitch streams and episode previews. For business inquiries and questions email us at bromancedawnpd at gmail.com. The entrance music track is The Chonker by Daphini and the ending track is End Credits, Loop by Visager. See you next week, set sails for new adventures.